All right, let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. Um, you ever want to do over? You ever want to do over in golf? They call it a mulligan. A uh, mulligan is when, when, you, when you hit a ball off the tee and you're like, boy, I'd like another crack at that. I'd like to pretend that that didn't, didn't really happen. Boy, in life, it would be helpful uh, if we could get a do-over. Boy, I've had a, I've had a bunch of times when I would like a, a do-over. Some of them happen on Sunday mornings. Uh, I've either said something I shouldn't have said. I didn't say something that I wanted to say. Uh, boy, I've had a bunch of those times. Uh, there was a day where I sat down at lunch with a bunch of people, looked down, and I was wearing two different shoes. Boy, I would like a mulligan on that one. Let me, let me get a do-over on getting dressed this morning. There are some things that I have said to people or that you have said to people that, boy, if I had thought about it a little bit extra, I probably wouldn't ask that person that question. You'd like that do-over. There are some opportunities that you and I have missed out on. To be like, man, if I had a chance, I'd do that over again. Boy, there, there are some, some, some choices that we've made. Maybe we bought a car and you just kind of said for the next six years, man, if I could have had it over again, I never would have bought uh, this uh, car. I can't help but think as Peter comes to this section of his letter to these young churches, to these young believers, and he begins to write about how we stand and communicate and represent Christ in unbelieving spaces. I can't help but wonder if Peter didn't have in his mind, boy, I'd like a mulligan. Boy, I'd like a do-over on this because really when it comes to, to, the, to the probably one of the greatest fails ever in all of history in terms of standing up for Jesus in an unbelieving space, Peter was the center of that story. You, you remember that story from Jesus' last hours, last days uh, on earth that Jesus is arrested. Peter follows in the background and tries to blend in as much as possible. But people recognize him because he's been hanging out with Jesus. He sounds like he's from the same part of the world as Jesus. And, and so some people, including a little servant girl, begin to ask him, Hey, aren't you one of the people with Jesus? And Peter cowers, and he denies, and he curses, and he regrets. And so now in this moment, Peter is at this moment trying to tell you and me how we're supposed to live in an unbelieving space. And you've got to think that Peter said, boy, I'd like to have that one over again. Now here's some things that I know about Peter. One, I, I know that he's forgiven for, for that big fail that was part of his life. But I also know that he's human, which means if he's the same brand of human that I am, there are still some mistakes that I've made in my life that, man, if I think about them, they still make me sick to my stomach. I also know that that wasn't the last time that Peter found himself in an unbelieving space. And so Peter is now writing this letter and he's writing to the church and he's describing to them, this is how we are to live in unbelieving spaces. This is how we're supposed to live when we are surrounded by people that are not yet buying in. Now, before we go too far and we think about Peter's experience in an unbelieving space and, and we think about the first century believers who are receiving this letter and we think about their experience in an unbelieving space, I want to think just for a moment about how often you find yourself 
in an unbelieving space. Now, you may not live every day of your life in an unbelieving space, but there are times and pockets and places where you will find yourself feeling some of the pressure of being surrounded by people that do not believe the same thing that you believe. I was thinking about this this week, and I, I think that there are three major obstacles that stand in our way when it comes to growing and developing and being the spiritual uh, people that we want to be. Uh, the first one is, I think it's ourselves. I, I think one of the obstacles that we face is our own flesh, our own temptations, our own patterns, our own desires, the things inside of us that are at war inside of us between doing what's right and wrong. And I think that that's an obstacle. I think another obstacle that we face in this world is, is spiritual opposition. Uh, don't miss out on the reality of the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual forces uh, unseen in this world. We face those things. So it's ourselves, it's spiritual opposition. But, but I think sometimes underrated and under-evaluated is that sometimes one of the obstacles that stands in our way spiritually are the people around us. It's the concern. It's the worry. What are they going to think if they see my full-fledged belief? What if they really knew and understood what I believed? What, what, if they, what are they going to think about my praise, about my worship, about my positions, about all of those kinds of things? Where does that stand in their life? Now, we might not want to admit it, but I think sometimes there is a large obstacle that happens in our life in terms of our concern about what other people may be thinking in our life. Now sometimes in this passage, Peter's going to talk about suffering. He's going to talk about evil. He's going to talk about harm. He's going to talk about opposition that comes into our life. And the temptation when we read a passage like this is to think about widespread persecution that comes on a cultural, society, government basis. But I think sometimes the place where we feel that push, that suffer, that harm, is not as a culture. But it's one-on-one, -on -one, a friend, a neighbor, a stranger across the street, a family member, someone that you're dating, all those kinds of things like that. That's where we get pushback in those places. Now, it may not always be harm and it may not always be difficult. But I think that there is some representation inside of us that there is a pushback in that place. Now, you may be here this morning and say, well, not me. Boy, I stand for Jesus no matter what. I stand for Jesus any place, any time, any way. I don't care what anybody knows. That, that would never be me. I would never be pushed by somebody else in terms of changing my opinion. If that's the case this morning, then man, I want you to take great notes for someone else this morning. But I, but I also, I also want to humbly I also want to humbly warn you. That was the speech Peter gave just before he cowered and cursed and denied and he regretted. How are we supposed to live when we find ourselves in an unbelieving space? Let's take a look at a couple of things uh, this morning. Uh, one of the things that I would say to you is that we are to make choices 
that are worth noticing. We are to make choices that are worth noticing. So take a look here in verse 8. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this is what you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It continues in verse 10. It says, but whoever desires to love life and see good days. Anyone desire to love life and see good days? Cool. couple hands. All right. You're in. Um, if you desire to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and let him pursue it. Just a couple of things that I want you to see here in which Peter says that when you live in an unbelieving space, when you encounter unbelieving folks, whether it's just a pocket at work, a pocket at school, a pocket in your family, a pocket, wherever, when you, when you bounce into an unbelieving space, he says, listen, here's some things that, that you need to do in your life. He says, first of all, don't return outwardly what's coming in. And he says, don't return evil for evil. Don't return reviling for reviling. Now, that's not the way that we think in our world. We think that whatever you give me, I'm going to give back to you. In fact, I bet you that if you take a look at most self-help books, that's the word that they tell you. Like, listen, if you, you get tough, then you've got to give tough back. If you get this, you've got to give it back. And you've got to make sure that they know who you are and that you won't get pushed around. But this passage of scripture says that sometimes when you're in an unbelieving environment and that unbelieving environment sometimes shows the marks of that unbelief and it's reviling and it's hard and it's difficult and it's evil. It is the incoming into your life. Then you return completely the opposite of what's incoming. The incoming is evil. It's reviling. And what you give to them is blessings. You completely transform the incoming that's coming into your life. He also says, pay attention to your words. Control your tongue and your words. When you're in that place, watch what it is that you say. He says, seek and pursue peace. Chase after the things that really, really matter. And I like those words. Seek means you got to go looking for it. Man, sometimes peace and the things that are right, they aren't right there in front of you. You've got to go looking for them. You've you got to find where is the peace in this environment? He says, go look for it. And then he says, pursue, chase, go after it. Do everything you can to identify it, find it, and just keep looking. It is a, it is a quest that you're on in your life. Now, let me tell you, if you are a person who when you receive reviling and evil, you give back blessings... If you are a person who controls your tongue, if you are a person who is looking for peace and is willing to pursue it at all costs, you're going to stick out. You're going to stick out and you're going to be noticed in an unbelieving space. People are going to identify, boy, there's something different about you. Boy, I don't necessarily believe all the things that you believe, but I like having you in this room. The room is better when you are in this room. We are called to live differently and so that we stand out against the backdrop of an unbelieving world. Now, I want to take just a, a little side note if I, I can at this point, a little doctrinal side note here. And, and there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a tension that we have that can almost border into false teaching 
in terms of our emphasis on works versus work, okay? We spend some time talking in church about the difference between works versus grace. You stand before God not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done inside of you. One of the clear messages that we want to give to you is that, listen, you cannot impress God with what you do. You cannot just say, I'm going to be a little bit better today and a little bit better tomorrow, and eventually God's going to give me the thumbs up. Let me tell you, the number of people that I've talked to said, listen, I've just got to get a few things right before I get to God. I said, man, you're never going to get those things right. He says, I come and I fix those things inside of your life. So one of our core messages of the Word of God, one of the core messages we try to deliver from the Word of God is that you do not impress God through your works. But the false teaching of that comes... The false teaching of that comes that says, listen, you never have to do any work. The, the, uh, the false teaching says, listen, if God wants to change me, he'll change me. I'll just sit here and wait. I, I want you to read this passage. Did, did you notice this passage? He says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tenderly heart, a humble spirit. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for revival. On the contrary, bless. He says, keep your tongue from evil. He says, keep your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's work. Those are some choices that you have to make. And so listen, I want you to know that you are not going to work your way into impressing God or getting your life right before God. Hear me say that. You receive that in terms of grace. But God does speak to the believer. He says, listen, now this is the work that I want you to do. This is the effort that I want you to do. This is the choices that I want you to make in terms of your life so that you will stand out against the unbelievers and you will draw people and point people to Jesus so that you will look more like Jesus so that you will be seeing the work of God unfolding inside of your life. One of the things I like to remind us, I like to remind us in staff, I like to remind us anytime I get a chance, we're not called to works but we are called to break a sweat. And living for Jesus, chasing after good, pursuing peace. Every once in a while, we should come home tired and whooped because there's work, this part of our life, that growing and building and shaping inside of our life. So I would encourage you, make choices that are worth noticing. Secondly, in this passage, I would, encourage you, I would encourage you to give answers worth hearing. Give answers worth hearing. Probably the centerpiece of this passage of Scripture, uh, the one that stands out for me, uh, the one that I think kind of pops off the page here, is verse 15. Verse 15 says, um, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy. And here we go. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always being prepared to give an answer. Now here's the thing. If you will make choices that are worth noticing, it's going to start some conversations. 
People are going to come to you when, when they are going through stress, when they are going through difficulty, and they've watched you go through stress and difficulty. They've watched you get showered with evil or reviling, and you return blessings. They're going to come to you and say, man, how do you do that? Why do you do that? Oh, what's unfolding in your life there? I, I want to be more like, tell me how to do that. And so the truth is that there are going to be times that if we live for Jesus, then people are going to come and ask us about that question. So Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is inside of you. Again, I want to step back to this biographical moment in Peter's life. Hear these words. He's saying, always be ready to give an answer to anyone for why you believe what you believe. I want you to travel back with Peter to that courtyard, sitting by the fireplace in the shadows, trying to not be noticed. And multiple people come up to him and say, aren't you one of the Jesus people? And he says, no. And then he says, bleep no. I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he writes in this letter, always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have inside of you. I wonder how many times Peter has reviewed inside of his mind, man, what should I have said that day? Well, what should have my words been that day? His words should have been, and listen, I don't, I don't want to, pound on Peter because Peter and I are first cousins. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to pound on him. But man, it was the moment. I know that Peter wants to say, yes, I, I am with Jesus. Even though it was the worst possible moment to ask whether you were with Jesus, because Jesus was there in weakness and vulnerability, and he was arrested, and the tide of popularity was turning against him. But Peter knows that what he should have said is, yes, I am with Jesus. And then to have someone say, now, why would you be with Jesus on a day like today? And Peter said, well, if you'd seen the things that I'd seen, if you'd heard the things that I'd heard, if you'd received the love and the grace that I've received, if you had even heard him tell us that this day was coming, he's been giving us the word for months now that's saying that these very events were about to happen and that's the reason why I'm with Jesus. Oh, man. So what he says to his dear friends who are receiving this letter is, listen, don't be me. Be ready every day to give a defense for the hope that is inside of you. Again, I don't want to pound on Cousin Peter. I, I, I don't want to do that mostly because, man, am I going to get it right today? Am I going to get it right? And it's kind of scary. I don't know that I'm always ready to do that. In fact, probably one of the scariest things that we have in terms of our faith is being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. How do we know that we can do this? Well, let me just say a couple of things. Jesus himself has told us that when you get into one of those places, I will give you the words that you need. Now listen, that means that sometimes we have to open our mouth for him to give you those words. 
You have to be ready to be engaged. But he has said, listen, I've got this. If you will be in that place and you will open your mouth, I will fill it with the words that you need to speak. I mean, it's his name. It's his honor. It's his story that's on the line. He's going to make sure that his name is covered, but he's going to use you to do it. But he promises when you're in one of those places, if you will let him, he will give you the very words. Now, some of you have had opportunity to do this, and you've answered some of these questions for somebody, and then when you're done, you just kind of sit back and say, I have no idea how I did that. I have no idea where those answers came from. I have no idea where I was able to answer some of those things. I never would have thought I could do that because his spirit equips you inside of that moment. But I also want you to say, and I also want you to know, that what you're doing in this moment in worship before the word of God, listening to the teaching of the word of God is part of the process in which he's going to equip you. Now, if I were to announce that starting this Sunday, you ready for this? Starting this morning, there's going to be a test over the sermon. You will be graded. Scores will be posted on the church website. First of all, attendance would go down. But those of you that stuck around <clears throat> would listen a little bit more. A little bit more intentionally. Paying attention a little bit more. Because there's going to be a test. Man, you sat in class and the professor starts going on this thing. and you're going, Is this going to be on the test? No, oh, pencils down, you know, just fine. Just, you, we're just killing time till the bell rings. But if it's going to be on the test, man, you got to pay attention. Listen, here's my promise. There's no test from me. But life is a test. And we are tested. And so part of what needs to happen when we are studying the Word of God, we're not just killing time. We're not just trying to be informed, but we are being prepared for the kind of moments when we are supposed to give a ready defense for the hope that we have inside of us. So when you go to Sunday school this morning, man, it's part of the equipping so that you're ready in that moment. Well, when you study the Word this week, it's part of the equipping for the next moment that you're called to give a defense. When we open up the Word of God together in here, it is so that you are ready to give a defense for the hope that you have inside of you. There is a test every single day. Now, the passage here tells us, that we are to be ready to give a defense and a reason for the hope that we have inside of us. But there's one other piece in here that I want you to hear before we move on from verse 15. And that is it says, with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. You ever, I know that you do, every once in a while you go to the doctor's office and, and you got to take a blood test. Some of you have been putting that off. You should probably go do that. If it's been 11 years since you've had a blood test, you should probably go do that. Part of your physical, go take care of that kind of stuff. But when you do that, what they do is they, they measure all these different nutrients, all of these different elements inside of your body and say, well, you're a little short on this. You got a little extra of this. And it kind of goes through the inventory of whether you've got all the ingredients that you're supposed to have. Let me tell you, if we were to give our culture that kind of test today, 
there are two things that are completely absent from our world. And that is gentleness and respect. And sometimes that absence even includes the conversation of the people of faith as they share about Jesus. Peter says, man, be ready. Be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that is inside of you. But would you please do it with gentleness and respect? Man, I can't help but wonder how our culture would be different today if the church was ready, if the people of God were ready to give a reason and a defense for the hope that is inside of them, but they always did it with gentleness and respect. Man, listen, pay attention, value, care for the person. Don't just throw a gospel hand grenade on them and say boom. But care for the person through and through, may we contribute into this world gentleness and respect. I would also say from this passage, what we'd want to hear is that what we'd want to hear is that we have a struggle that's worth winning. A struggle that's worth winning. Man, we've been saying this several weeks now. But halfway through chapter 2, Peter started talking about suffering. In fact, he uses the word suffer 12 different times in the second half of 1 Peter. Do you know that the word, that word suffering only appears 42 times in the entire New Testament? 12 of them are in the back half of 1 Peter. In fact, he says here in verse 17, he says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Man, there's several other places in this passage that we could look to. There's a parallel thought there, but man, unpack that for a moment. He talks about the fact that you might suffer for doing good. Man, that's tough. I don't like suffering. I really don't want to suffer for doing good. But that last one is the one that really bugs me. Because this is God's will for my life. Man, I thought I could trust God's will. Man, I, I thought that if I, I yielded my life to God's will, it, it, would, it would always be good. But it tells us that sometimes God's will is that we will suffer for doing good. Now, this is almost a parallel to the passage that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago because immediately after Peter says, listen, you might have to suffer for doing good, and we're like, no, that's not fair, that's not right. And then he says, remember when Jesus suffered for doing good for you? Oh, man. That's the example that's in front of us. Now, in this last paragraph, verses 18 to 22, Man, there are some doozy questions that you should just ask your Sunday school teacher about at, nine, at 9.45 this morning. There, there, there's some real things to unpack there. But what I want you to see in that passage is that he talks about the fact that the hope is being delivered to people who need it. And there is a patience that God is exhibiting so that his word, his gospel, can be delivered to as many people as possible. He talks about when Jesus preaches to the prisoners. I don't, there's a lot of discussion about that. 
But the whole point of that is that Jesus was preaching message to people who needed it the most. He talks about God's patience with the, with the, with the judgment that was going to come in Noah's day. And it was a patience because he needed to make sure that at least some people would respond to him and not have to experience that punishment. And what he's saying to you and I is that sometimes we have to struggle and go through some difficult times when we are in the face of unbelief so that some people can come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if they do, and if they will, it makes my suffering, my inconvenience, my awkwardness, my fear all worth it so that I can see some people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And sometimes... As good as it is to see each other in worship this morning. Sometimes we also need to look at some of these empty seats. And realize that those seats are being saved for someone who does not know Jesus right now. And it is the task and it is the mission of this church. Not to fill up this building. But to help people who live in unbelief today. Become followers of Jesus Christ. And to find the hope in their life that we have found in our life. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to get this right. Lord, we don't always find ourselves surrounding in unbelief. Lord, we are blessed with Christian friends. We're blessed with a good church. Lord, we're, we're blessed with Sunday school classes. Lord, many of us are blessed with families that pray together and talk about you. But Lord, every once in a while, we will find ourselves up against some folks who don't believe. Lord, I pray that my life, Lord, I pray that the life of the people in this church would make belief more likely. Lord, they would see a difference in our life. They would hear an answer that's worth it and that we would be willing to suffer and be inconvenienced so that someone else can come to know Jesus in the same way that we did. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.